Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League, powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. Okay, Ange. The team that I've been dogging all podcast, they finally lost. And I'm, I'm not celebrating your Rangers loss, but I think we all knew it was going to happen eventually. You're celebrating it a bit. I mean, a little bit, but can you blame me? No, not really. I mean, I said it time and time again. You never, ever, ever worry until a team win- loses at home in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And this was a perfect example of that. What did you uh, see from the Tampa Bay Lightning with respect to resilience in this series? Just the experience came out in, in full force. I think any other team that goes down to nothing, granted it was on the road. And like you said, you don't until you lose at home, you're not too worried. But I think if this was any other team as an outsider, as a fan of that team, when you go down to nothing to a team that thrives on momentum, like the Rangers, you'd be thinking, Oh boy, like maybe we're in for, in for a, a bit of a mess here, but that would just wasn't the case. <laughs> the Tampa just decided they're going to, beat Tampa when they got home and it was honestly it was curtains after game three I feel like once they got that first game it's like okay yeah I think they're gonna end up doing this yeah John Cooper said it best he said it took us a game and a half roughly to get our legs and he couldn't have said it better I mean they looked really flat in game one and I think two periods of game two as well they got smashed what like 6-2 in game one mm-hmm. went down 3-1 early in the third period and then in the third period in game two that's when I finally started feeling confident that the real Tampa came to play they got it to they got it to 3-2, ended up losing that game. But like John Cooper said, he kind of gave a little bit of foreshadowing. They look like coming, going back to Tampa, they were going to wrap this series up in four games. And I mean, yeah, never, ever, ever worry until the team loses at home. I kind of want to talk about the line that I think was the best line in this series. I don't mm-hmm. know if you agree, the Hagel-Sorelli-Kalorn line, which was yeah. kind of manufactured once Point got hurt. Um, did you notice anything special from them? Yeah, I mean, they're not going to ever... On a team like Tampa, who was loaded with stars, they're never going to steal the headlines offensively, maybe, but they're just solid. And Sorelli's an elite two-way player. I think these past two cups, everyone's learned that. It's not a surprise, but he continues to demonstrate that regularly. Um, Kaloran is, he's like, I have, every time there's an off-season and, and everyone's saying, Tampa needs to shed salary, it's always Kaloran's going to go, but he never goes. And it's because he's just so consistent and good. He scores timely goals, and he's someone that the coach can rely upon, which in in a setting like this, Eastern Conference Finals, that's pretty valuable. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were the best line over the latter half of the series, to your point as well. They did not contribute much to scoring. I think Hagel had one goal, and that's it. Sorelli and Kalorn were held off the score sheet. Maybe Sorelli had one assist, but they get, barely gave up any goals throughout all the series, yeah. to your point. Sorelli is an elite two-way defender, um, two-way offensive defender. I mean, got Selkie votes this year, plays both sides of the puck really well. And checking, man, out of the three lines, they definitely generated the most chances. I think Shesterkin robbed Hagel two or three times in the series. Mm -hmm. Sorelli missed an easy two-on-one. This line could have easily had four goals. I think this is a really good lesson for kids watching hockey. Like There are ample ways, as exemplified by this line, to contribute to a game and ample ways to earn ice in ways other than scoring both goals and assists. Right, they, they all averaged, what, roughly 20 minutes? I mean, they were driving play, creating chances, something that was very often under notice that I think led to a few Tampa goals, maybe Stamkos goals specifically, is that they would check really well, get an offensive zone faceoff, and then Stamkos would come off that offensive yeah. zone faceoff and score. I mean, when you have a checking line like that, you wear teams down, and you could tell throughout as the series went on, the Rangers looked worse and worse. They got tired. Yeah, I think 
the tiredness is is a good point because they went deep in two series in a row. They had to fight back from behind in both those series. That definitely weighs on you. And Tampa had that nine days of rest. I was always going to come through for them. I'm sure they were they were so happy to get the sweep, not only because it's their rivals and the sweep of rivals is a pretty big statement, but after two years of deep playoff runs, to get nine days of rest in the middle of the playoffs for that team is, I think if they win the cup, we're going to look back on that nine days of rest and think, yeah, that's maybe what pushed them over the edge because that's massive for them. Um, yeah, I think Tampa, to win this series, they did what, and you alluded to it with that that forward line, they gave the Rangers zero space yep in each of game three to game six tampa held the rangers to less than two expected goals per game at five on five and in game six as we come to expect now vasilevsky and the bulls it was less than one expected goal at five on five and maybe expected goals is maybe not a lot of context to that stat but i looked in moneypuck.com which is actually such a good website they have a little heat map of scoring chances and if i went to go look through each of the games and the rangers couldn't really generate anything from that that home plate area that all the analysts show on tv rangers like right in front of the net in the high slot they had really no chances coming from that that's exactly what we expect from tampa and a big part of that team defense vasilevsky he had a 955 from games three to six i don't know how you can expect to beat a team that's not only good defensively but they have one of the best goalies to ever play when he's putting up those numbers it's it's tough this is not an indictment on the rangers this is just tampa decided not decided worked their way into this series and dominated after yeah i think you brought up a really like a lot of good points here that i want to touch on one by one um first and foremost the rest aspect and then we'll move on to the five on five i thought a lot of things that you said there were very prevalent. First and foremost, I think this bears repeating because there's firsthand evidence now. We've talked about this. The argument against the playoff format is you need to play the best teams anyway, so it doesn't matter. That has no value because we see evidence right now in the um, Eastern Conference Finals with Tampa Bay having an easy easy ride in the sense that they had rest. You sacrifice maybe one and a half to two games versus New York having to go through two really, really tough seven-game series. It can end up costing you a series. Right. Sure. So when we look at this now with Tampa Bay, I mean, if Tampa Bay, the least took them to seven, but if Florida took them to six or seven games too, I don't know if Tampa comes back down to nothing. Very different series. Right. And the same thing to that point, if New York doesn't go seven against Boston, seven against Pittsburgh, sorry, Carolina, Carolina, yeah. sorry, to Pittsburgh and then to Carolina, my apologies. Maybe they have enough gas in the tank. Like as you could see, as the series got um, closer and closer to the end, New York just had no gas in the tank. Yeah. And I mean, that's sort of the price to pay when you go down in two series in a row. You're going to have to play long series. And New York got themselves out of those holes. And really impressive that they did that. But when it comes to Eastern Conference Finals, you're playing as a team with rest and experience. It's mm-hmm. You almost saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. Any, the, like, like we said again, having time off will cost you one game. Right versus playing many more series will cost you a series. And we saw that here. Yeah. The second thing I want to talk about you brought up really well is that New York, with respect to your heat mat argument, is just not good five on five. We saw it in the Pittsburgh series, dominated yeah. five on five. They got lucky that they played against a team with no Crosby for a little bit and with a third string goalie. And then the same thing in the Carolina series. I saw I think those Jay Fresh stats showed that they got absolutely dominated five on five. They just ended up winning because A, their power play was insane. And number two, Carolina just couldn't score. And we saw it again. And the point I'm trying to make here is that 
the by far and away the most important metric I think in a seven game series in the Stanley Cup is five on five play. For sure. Right? And when a team can't play five on five, I mean there's just no way that you beat a high caliber team, especially back to back cup champs. Yeah, and I mean you you can definitely maybe win a series or two like we saw on some opportunistic scoring and a good power play and some running gun hockey. You can, absolutely. Um but I think they can only take you so far. Like you said, you come up against a team that's done it two years in a row. They're going to shut you down, especially five on five. Um, and you mentioned bad five on five play can't take you very far. But, you know, who can is Igor. Yeah. Igor, did he did he cement himself? He's probably going to win the Vesna this year. So will. will win the Vesna this year. So he's a top goalie this year. But I'm talking about starting fresh next year is he cemented himself as a top two or three goalie in the league oh cemented top two for sure i think this series showed that vasilevsky still has the crown i yeah. mean when push came to shove vasilevsky showed up in game six he showed up in he game did. five as well i he mean did. to his point he didn't have legs as well in the first two games and they got destroyed but for any of these new york rangers fans anyone new to the game that thinks shesterkin is a better player than andre vasilevsky he's a fantastic player but going into a stanley cup final game seven I think a hundred coaches out of a hundred take Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, I, I don't think they they should think otherwise. He's won two in a row. He's a beast. Shesterkin is probably going to get there one, maybe not to that same level, but he's going to see a similar success at some point. But yeah, what 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 a playoff performance by this guy. He's going to get paid in a couple of years when his contract is up. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how they can work their way around some of their um, cap implications that they're going to have. Um, but maybe let's just wrap up this series by just kind of talking about the Rangers. I mean, they overachieved with a young team. I don't think anybody, including myself, expected them to make it even past the first round, first or second round. Um, I think they're going to be a team to watch out for the next couple of years, especially with, with the Metro. You have aging caps who are kind of already really done, let's say, and the Pittsburgh who, even if they keep their core together, they're going to continue to age are you expecting some deep playoff runs from the Rangers in the next few years, or do you think this was a fluke? Uh, no, I'm, I'm expecting some deep playoff runs if they can start learning to play 5-on-5. Five five. I mean, I think part of that immaturity is shown by the fact that you got dominated 5-on-5. Five five. New York lives and dies by the sword, and the sword here is the power play. I mm-hmm. mean, game one and two, I think they scored a total of nine goals. Eight of them were even strength, which was great, which is why they won those first two games. But when you look at game three and on, they only scored five goals, and four of them on the, were on the power play, right? And to that point, when you can't play five-on-five, five, I think with maturity comes um, better five-on-five five checking and better five-on-five five domination. So I think if New York starts to play better um, and starts to mature a little bit, I do expect to see some cup runs going on here. They are deep offensively. Yeah, they're, they're sneaky deep, and their young players are only going to get better. Right? Lafreniere talked about in the in the uh, end-of-season press conference that he expects himself to be in the top six next year. I mean, Kapokak was an RFA, so we'll see how that plays out if he stays or goes, but they're only going to get better because their best players are under 30 or so. So, yeah, they're, they're going to be good for a few more years for sure. Yeah, I think New York is in a good spot, um, quite simply because they have the most important position locked up when making deep cup runs. I mean, when you have a goalie that is that good, he can single-handedly win you series. And to Tampa's credit, they were the only team that figured out Igor Shesterkin and I think a big reason why they did that was the adjustments that they made. We saw in game one and two, they just couldn't score. And then game, I don't know if it was game four or game five that um, Sergachev scored those two goals. They ended up Mm -hmm. winning two to one or three to two. And it just seems so clear that John Cooper's message in the in the dressing room was, if Igor can see it, Igor will stop it. So put seven, eight bodies in front of him. And that those two Sergachev shots that went in, there were not only four guys 
sorry, three guys that were um, providing a screen. It was like multiple vertical layers of screening. When yeah. Igor could not see the puck, that was the only way they were going to score on him, and they did it. Yeah, I mean, shots from the point are valuable if the goalie can't see it. If they're tippable, you're going to score a bunch of goals that way. So, I mean, that's another testament to the way Tampa can sort of find different ways to beat you. They're going to find ways to score even when your goalie seems like he's a god. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how they actually come up against maybe a, an on-paper Uyghur goalie. We're just going to take a brief intermission to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, BetStamp. Picture this. A big Leaf game is on and you want to place a bet, but are overwhelmed by the abundance of sportsbooks that are offering you odds on the same game. Well, put your worries away by opening the BetStamp app, which will directly compare the lines across multiple sportsbooks to help you find the best odds possible. On BetStamp, you can verify the existence of your proposed bets and its corresponding odds in order to buy and sell picks with full transparency. Also thinking about making money selling your own picks? BetStamp is the place for you. With their commission-free marketplace, you can sell your picks on the app without paying a single cut. It's completely free. To learn more, visit betstamp.app/ontario using code UFR to get access to all of BetStamp's affiliates and their prices. The only way to get an edge in online sports betting is by using the BetStamp app alongside different sports books. So download it today. We'll see you on the smart side of online sports betting. But before we preview the Stanley Cup Finals, let's quickly touch on kind of a, a, a sweep job, the Avalanche over the Oilers. I was kind of shocked. I'm not shocked that the Avs won, but I'm shocked that they swept them. You were? So a sweep in the Western Conference Finals is... And when with McDavid and Drysdale playing the way they were, I, I was shocked. I would. I'm not shocked that they swept them. I wouldn't have been shocked if they didn't sweep them. I would have been shocked if the series went past six. Honestly, yeah. sorry, past five. I thought it would have ended in five. And I mean, wow, the big boys for Colorado came came to play. I mean, what more can you expect? I thought that once Kemper got hurt and Francouz went in net, okay, maybe this was the mm-hmm. a little bit of light opening the door for the Oilers. But credit to Pavel Francouz, man, that guy shut the door. He did. He's always been pretty pretty steady as a backup um i think a couple of playoffs ago um when grubauer got hurt he had to come in and he played well before yeah. getting hurt when they had to rely on michael Hutchins, hutchinson which is really tr- unfortunate for them but yeah he, he stepped up and he might have to step up again in the finals um um but, but good on the abs they finally sort of got over that second round hump to get to where they were against the oilers and now they're now they're at the big one they're going to you know, they're going to be playing against the two-time champs for a chance at the Stanley Cup. And that's exciting to watch. As you know, as a Leafs fan, I'm, I'm cheering for Naz. I actually really don't care who wins the Stanley Cup Finals because I think both stories are really good. But happy for Naz, happy for Nate. Um, I think it's going to be a, a really, really fun series. I just, now linking back to the Stanley Cup, sorry, the Western Conference Finals, I just don't think the Oilers had an answer for the way for the abs, abs depth and just the way they're so relentless. One of the holes that we talked about, you talked about the last episode is the hole that they have on their back end. They're just, their defense aren't amazing. They're good. They're not amazing. But when you're getting relentlessly forechecked the way you will against the abs, that's going to be exposed. And, and it was because they got peppered and they got a lot of goals scored against them. And Mike Smith also got a little bit exposed in this series, too. There was a perfect storm playing against a team like the Avalanche who were relentless. And it's tough when you can't move the puck very well in your back end. Yeah, I mean, 
the depth on Colorado is insane, and that's that's the problem with the Oilers. Like you said, they have one line that can score. I, I we've talked about their their good winger depth, but the problem is, is it's not elite winger depth. It's good winger depth, and when that first mm-hmm. line isn't scoring, when Evander Kane is out for a little bit of time, and especially when Mike Smith is playing like normal Mike Smith, I mean, to the point where they were questioning as to whether to put Miko Koskin in the net. There's no surprise that the sweep happened, and it is easy to see that. Um, it is easy to say that in hindsight because hindsight's twenty twenty. But you know, we did say Colorado in five to six, and I mean, they beat us by a game. Yeah, they got they got a little bit earlier there. Um, I have I have some things I want to say about the Oilers, but if you know anything else that you want to say about um, the Avs before I go down that route, no, it's all you. Okay, every everyone that covers hockey has been saying this, but I think we need to say it. Like, big credit to the Oilers, especially McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane for carrying this team to a Western Conference Finals. I didn't expect them to make it past Calgary just because I thought Calgary was going to be the match for them, but they they really impressed me this playoffs. Um, McDavid, 33 points in 16 games. Dreisaitl, 32 and 16 on a bum ankle. and a high ankle sprain. He's putting up four assists in game four, trying to put the team on his back. It's just so impressive. I think they deserve a massive shout-out. Um, and Kane led the freaking playoffs. He's still leading the playoffs on goals. What a, what an amazing pickup for them. We talked about how that was kind of lucky, fell into their lap. But nonetheless, they were the team that went out and got him, and it paid off for them. Um, what do you think about those three and the, the Oilers in general? Yeah, like you said, I mean, they, they put that team on their back. There's no other way around it. I, I don't think the second or third line had had much scoring. I know Zachary Hyman scored a bunch of goals against Calgary didn't really show up much against the avalanche and it was left to those three and i mean mm-hmm. leon dreitzeidel to your credit said it. he did it on a broken foot and i don't know if i really expected anything less from evander kane he was the sharks yeah. player of the year last year and then he comes here and averages a goal a game i mean that guy's gonna get paid next year yeah he the, is he's a he's a ufa obviously he right is. He's yeah gonna, yep. some team i mean i would value him at probably around seven million for two years i think that's like that's a fair contract for him because he, he was on pace to score 40 55 yeah. if you included the playoffs but there might be some team stupid enough to give him seven oh. by five. Oh, there there's going to be a team stupid enough to do that i was even hearing people say he might get a raise on the seven million he was making in, in, in san jose might be worth it honestly with how well he played this year and how well he played in the playoffs i mean it's so difficult to find a winger that is that consistent in the playoffs against good quality teams. I mean, if I was a team that leaked winger depth and Evander Kane said he would play for me for eight million a year at four or five years, I'm I'm gonna take it. That's I think that would be. Uh, it might be the price a team has to pay. I think that would be a bit of a risk though, just because we we know his history. Um, but it does. I don't think he's. I mean, he's maybe the one guy in the league who literally can't afford to take a discount to stay at a, at a city. Um, so I think he's going to test the market and go to the highest bidder, as as you should, given his you know well known financial situation. It's actually kind of funny on a bit of a tangent, really quickly. Um, that lawsuit with the San Jose Sharks. They're talking about like that's not. It's not completed yet. No, is it? and he might win it. And there's, I saw a tweet that there is a chance that if he wins that lawsuit. San Jose must pay him the rest of that money, obviously. But he might have to go back and play for San Jose I according saw. to that contract. That'd be kind of funny. That would be hilarious. I think they would immediately take whatever they can in the trade and, and get him out of there. That, that would actually be a crazy situation because could you imagine if the Oilers had gone on to win the Cup when this 
when technically he shouldn't have even been allowed to leave the Sharks in the first place. That would have been such a mess for the NHL. Would have made it would have made for interesting stories. Would have made for some good stuff for us to cover over the offseason. But that would have been a pretty crazy, like a t- he wasn't technically wouldn't have been allowed to sign for the Oilers, and he would have potentially won a cup with them. That blows my mind. But I mean, hey, if they allowed for it to happen, that's you know that's on the NHL. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's. I think his days in Edmonton are numbered. I really do, um, which kind of sucks for them because that was the, the reason, a big reason why they had success. But, you know, we'll talk about the Oilers and maybe some of the things that they have to do in the offseason, including, you know, Pugliarvi. We can talk about that a little bit later. Um, but for the sake of time, we talked about the Oilers, we talked about the Rangers, you know, good on them for making it that far. But now, do you have anything to say before we move on to the uh, to the big boy series? I'm ready for the cup final preview. Let's do it. I think this might be one of the most hyped cup finals that we've seen in a long time because it's really rare that the two best, let's say best teams on paper in each conference actually make it. I think if you were to ask most hockey fans before the playoffs, who's the best team in the East and who's the best team in the West? I think a lot of people would have been saying Tampa and the Avalanche. And it's rare in hockey, especially that we see that end up in the finals. Well, yeah, this exactly correct. This is the first time I think since 08 or 09 or something like that, that the two yeah. Stanley Cup favorites at the beginning of the season make the Stanley That's Cup final. Crazy. Right? There's always upsets that happen. And I mean, let's break it down. I'm interested to hear your take first, who you think wins the cup and why you think wins the cup. This is tough. This is tough. This is tough because I've said don't bet against Tampa until they lose because you'd be stupid to do that because mm-hmm. they're Tampa. But I think the Avalanche are going to win. I just, I think they're so good. The, the the one asterisk on that is if Kadri's playing with a legit one hand, I think they're 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 in tough, of course. Um, but he's skating. It seems like he's gonna try and play. I just think Nate has such a point to prove. I think Makar is unbelievable. I just think that they're too deep. They seem to have, they got over that the second round hump that we mentioned. I just have a feeling that they're gonna go and do it. I would not be shocked in the slightest if Tampa won. That's probably why I'm going to refrain from from betting on this series. Um, I think the Avalanche are going to take it, though. I mean, it's tough to get a be- to bet against Joe Sakic's abs, but yeah. all else equal. I mean, with no um, contextualities with respect to how this playoff um, has happened so far with fully rest- rested lineups, with nobody injured, I'm taking Colorado in six games as well. But for this Stanley Cup final, I am taking Tampa in six. And I, I think that um, for a multitude of reasons, which I kind of want to break down here, first and foremost, rest. I think the rest is going to bite Colorado early. Um, We saw it in, in the Tampa series. Tampa played a far worse New York team, had nine days off, lost them a game and a half. And I mean, like we said, the rest will cost you one or two games while playing more might cost you a series. But when you see a team like Tampa Bay, I don't care how tired they are. If you go down to them 2-0 early, and remember Colorado is at home, if you go down or lose one game at home, I don't know if you're going to be able to win one in Tampa to tie it up. I mean, Colorado is going to be off for, I think, two weeks. Tampa is going to have their legs coming off four straight games of desperation. I think I'm very confident that Tampa wins game one in Colorado. Even if they lose game two, they're going one and one back to Tampa, and I expect Tampa to win both at home, right? Wow. In my opinion, that gives Tampa, not in my opinion, based on that, Tampa will be up 3-1. They'll have one chance to close it out at home or two in Colorado as well. Obviously, this is subject to um, a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for, assumptions. 
But based off of where we are now, I think the rest is going to bite Colorado early. They're going to come out flat. They haven't played a hardcore Stanley Cup game in nine days. No, sorry, more, two weeks. Yeah. Right? And when, when it's not like Tampa's rested as well. They're, they're playoff ready. They went through four hard games. That's number one. Number two, goaltending. What do you think Darcy Kemper's at right now? 70, 80%? There's no way he's at 100. Well, he can't. He left the series because he couldn't see. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. Even if Darcy Kemper is at 90%, we'll say he's definitely not at 100. I do not trust Pavel Frank, who's against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We know Vazzy can steal a series, right? Colorado has not played a good playoff goalie yet. Take that in. They had backups playing in Nashville. They played Mike Smith when he wasn't good. The only good goalie they played was Jordan Bennington, and they had trouble against Jordan Bennington, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, it is tough to bet against Colorado, but when they're going up against a team who has their legs against a fantastic goalie who can steal a series, I think Tampa wins in six. I think Vazzy wins the Smythe. In six? That's a that's a big call. Yeah. In six. I, I can Damn. keep sorry, if you want to go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I, I'm I'm just having I'm having trouble refuting any of those arguments that you gave. It's a solid argument. Yeah, I got so number three is depth. I mean, the hallmark of Colorado, to your point, is depth. But Tampa is sneaky deep too. Their first line, I think, matches up just as well as Colorado's line. I'm sorry, Stamkos had 106 point this, points this year. Kucherov is playing like his heart self. Andre Palat is sneaky good on the wing. And Very their good. second line, we just said with Hagel, Sorelli, Kalorn, is sneaky deep too. And they're getting point back at 100% because he's been off for three weeks, right? He's, he's coming back. I mean, I don't know what, what percentage he's at. I think if um, the last series against the Rangers went to seven, he probably would have came back for seven. For so sure. It means he was close to being ready. Even if he's at 85% of Braden Point, he's still Braden Point. Yeah, right? he, he was close to being ready. Now he's going to have four or five days off before game one. I mean, that offensive core is deep. And when you look defensively too, I mean, Tampa is slightly worse than Colorado defensively, but by such an inconsequential mar- margin. I think everyone takes McCarr over Hedman, but it's far mm-hmm. closer than a lot of people think. Oh, it's very close. Hedman's also done it twice. Exactly. Um, Devontae's is a phenomenal player, but I'm sorry, in the playoffs, I like Ryan McDonough better just because of that experience he brings to the team. And then Cernak and Sergachev played so well last year. Sergachev had two goals. These players are in form. The point I'm trying to make here is that I don't know. Tampa's depth, I think, is just as good as Colorado. And if they can steal a few games without their leg, without Colorado's legs, I don't know. It's going to be tough to overcome that margin. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that that rest portion will be really key. I think we'll we'll know where this series is heading after the first two games, um, just because the teams are so evenly matched that if if Tampa does somehow get a two nothing lead or if Colorado gets a two nothing lead, it's going to be tough. That it'll be tough for the other team to overcome that. I think the key for the Avs in this series, I've mentioned it every time we review an Avs series, is just how relentless and how much they can overwhelm an opponent with their forechecking. I think they have to lean on that so heavily against Tampa Bay. Um, the Leafs were the team that had the most success against Tampa, and of the teams that they've played, I'm pretty sure the Leafs are the team that forecheck you the hardest. We know that um, uh, the Rangers like to play off the rush a little more because they're usually defending more than they're attacking. Florida was not very good, so it didn't matter how they played. It didn't look like they were going to win that series. So I think that the Avs are just going to have to overwhelm the heck out of this um, Tampa Bay defense. I mean, if you get in there, lay a couple big hits, we know that I'm sure these guys are playing through injuries. How do you not after three straight cup runs? I think if they're going to have any success, they've got to get them behind the um, Tampa defense, make some big hits, and, and score um, in that way. Or else I think they're going to they're gonna really struggle. 
because we know Tampa knows how to clamp down when they need to. Um, I think the Avalanche are going to have to try and find a way to, to get some sustained pressure in the ozone. Yeah, you said it You said it best. I mean, let's not overestimate the fa- underestimate the fact that Tampa Bay has cup-winning experience. That means so much. Like, we're seeing it in the NBA Finals, too, right now. Really quickly, Boston Celtics go out to, to what, an early one nothing lead. Then they get it to 2-1. But then everything starts crumbling and the cream rises to the, co- the crop and the guys that are battle-tested and have won chips like Steph Curry start going off. I mean, I think the same thing is going to happen in Tampa as well. No yeah. one, am I wrong? No one on Colorado has won a cup. I think if they have, like maybe Darren Helm won one with Detroit back in the day. I don't even know for sure, but definitely no. none of the big boys have made big cup runs. Not even, yeah, cup runs. They haven't even had a Stanley Cup final no. game, right? No. There's something to be said about maybe that first two or three games without having legs and it might be a little bit too overwhelming for them and like i said not to to beat a dead horse here colorado going down to nothing against nashville full confidence they come back but against the tough checking tampa bay lightning i don't know if they let's get something straight if colorado comes out and wins the first two games at home they're gonna win the cup but if tampa can steal one i mean i have a tough time betting against yeah. tampa like it's crazy everyone on tampa has two cups and maroon's gonna win his fourth in a row That's crazy right that if is it so happens crazy the, the the last thing i want to talk about is desperation there is something to be said about playing with desperation and that's to, to colorado's point that no one on that team has won a cup right regardless of how good that team is they're not going to be as good next year they're going to lose a lot of guys to free agency maybe there's an element of desperation they're saying we don't know if we're yeah. going to get back here it's we exactly. got to win right but on the other hand, I think there's some desperation in that Tampa Bay locker room. Big time. They're on the cusp of history. Not even that. I think there's desperation in the sense that what's the first thing you hear when someone says Tampa's won two cups in a row? What's the first thing that people say? What? Oh, it was a COVID cup or something? They like were fake cups? Quote unquote Mickey Mouse cups. Oh, okay. Right? I think, and I could be wrong, this is pure conjecture, that those guys in the room, Stamkos, Kucherov, want to stick it to the entire NHL fan base and say, we're going to win a cup that you guys call real. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think they're going to come out and I think they're going to win Tampa and six. Uh, I, I Listen, I think Colorado's going to win this one, but I, I think it, I love watching greatness as everyone does that's not unique to me but just watching something that you're going to look back on 50 years and say holy crap i was alive for that this is an amazing moment it's like i'm not a huge football fan that's why i kind of liked watching brady win all his rings and i know true football fans hated that because tom brady and the patriots were easily easy to hate but just watching this guy win all of these rings and cement his legacy was really cool from a neutral perspective and i'm, I'm a neutral watching this and so I think seeing Tampa win three in a row and really etch themselves as a true, true dynasty, not only of the cap era, but all time, will be very cool to watch. And that's why I won't be upset if they win, even if it's against my prediction. It is so crazy that they are the first team in the cap era to get to, what, three straight cup finals? And they did it in a flat cap. That's what blows that's my crazy. mind. Right? It's not even like the cap went up two, three million a year. It was freaking flat. It didn't move. Right? Yeah, they're, they're probably already. We can have this conversation in the offseason after it's done. But they're probably already the best team in the cap era, arguably because they've made it to conference finals. They made it to the cup finals as well. Like they've been close so often. If they get this, it's game over. Like they're the 100% the best team of the cap era. For sure. That'd John, be cool. John Tortorella said it best when they swept the Tampa yeah. Bay Lightning, they created a monster. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be honest, I'm going for Tampa. Steven Samkos is one of my favorite players ever to play. He's such a good dude. And I'm yeah. so sick and tired of people overshadowing his greatness by the 
by the dumb, untrue argument that these are Mickey Mouse Cups, and I think he's going to win yeah. a real one here. And I think when he wins this real one, everyone will start finally validating the first two, and he's going to he's going to be a Hall of Famer with three cups. Yeah. I think people who invalidate the first two are are idiots. Like, imagine being away from your family in Canada. They're all they all live in the states, right? During COVID, being isolated in in a hotel for literally two months. That that's grueling mentally. Maybe. Regardless of what people want to say, it is. And then to, last year, I feel like last year was almost real. Like there were fans back. The, yeah, the division was different. But that, in my opinion, that's a real cup. I know there are people who say it wasn't. So, I, you know, from that perspective, I kind of hope they stick it to them as well. Exactly. That's why I'm going for Tampa. But, yeah, let's move on. Well, speaking of kind of one of the – we talked about Tampa being one of the potential best teams of the of the cap era. This team, Boston Bruins, they weren't as decorated. They only won that one cup. But I think everyone would agree that they have been one of the best teams over the past 10 to 15 years. Especially and, Leaf fans would agree, yeah. Yeah. Leaf fans have nightmares still. And over the weekend, we got some pretty shocking news that – Maybe are we seeing maybe the end of this, this bit of a run that they've been on? Because they fired Bruce Cassidy kind of out of nowhere. I I thought this was a huge shock from the outside looking in. I think everybody did in six seasons as his head coach. As the head coach, he's made the the playoffs all six years as a record of two hundred and forty five, one hundred eight and forty six, with six playoff appearances. And I'm sorry, objectively the hardest um, division in. Yeah, it's in the, one of the two hardest. In the NHL, they won a President's Trophy in 2019, I think. And that year, they made the Cup Final and lost in seven. He could have easily won a Cup that easily, year. Easily. Right? The, the bounces went St. Louis's way. And, I mean, they won a bunch of these games without a lot of depth. I'm, and I'm going to yes. be honest. A, a lot of people will disagree with me. But past that first line, their depth falls off a cliff. I mean, three or four years ago, sure, they had more depth on the second and third line. But it still wasn't the best depth in the league. No, it wouldn't be. I wouldn't consider it to be on Tampa or Colorado's level. Without a doubt. And I think a very often overlooked portion of Cassidy's tenure is that he developed McAvoy and Pasta into two legitimate stars. Yeah. I don't understand how this firing happened past the fact that Don Sweeney just didn't like Bruce Cassidy. And, and I think you're right about that. And he, he was there to, to, to kind of oversee Marchand's you know, development into a legit superstar. So that that's three guys that he was there to watch become legit superstars in this league. I think there was definitely, I don't know if it was Don Sweeney. I don't know if it was um, Cam Neely. I don't know if it was um, their their owner. I forget his name right now. Maybe that's something we can ask Alex Barth, who's going to be joining us for an interview very shortly. He might have a little more insight because he's from Boston and covers them. But there must have been some sense up in that front office that he was no longer a fit for some reason. I don't know. Um, but gosh, like you, when you run out those stats, they were also led the. They were always top five in expected goals for, expected goals against, Corsi for any metric you look at. They were always, always at the top of those lists. I really just don't know kind of what the deal was. From what I heard, that there was some frustration, and, and I'm gonna get on my soapbox now a little bit if you'll let me. There was a little bit of frustration that Cassidy wasn't giving young guys a chance, that he wasn't um, developing the young guys as well as he wanted to, that there was friction in their relationships. If you remember, Jake DeBrusca had a trade request earlier in the year. Um, you know, I think that that's fine, right? That, that's fine. It could be valid. If you expect a coach to develop young players and they're not, that's fine. You can maybe fire him for that. But there's two reasons why I disagree with, with, with that. If that's the reason for the firing, I disagree with it. There must have been more, but this aspect of it I disagree with, right? If you want to develop young players and contend for a cup at the same time, that's a big ask. And it's just even harder 
it's even harder if the guys you've been providing your coach are bad. They have been terrible drafting from 2017 to 2020, which is the players you'd expect to come into the team over recent years. I'm not including Pasta and McAvoy in that list because they, they're, they're in their mid-20s now. And they got drafted in, I think, 2015-16. Um, only three of their draft picks from 2017 to 2020 have played games in the NHL. And they've all played, barring Jeremy Swayman, less than 40 games. The only other guys are Vakanainen, who they traded for, I think he was in the Lindholm deal, and Jack Stadnicka, who has six points in 37 games, right? So if you're asking your coach, we need more out of our young players, well, you got to draft me good players to develop because I'm trying to win a cup here, right? And then even and, and for any Bruins fans listening, this is going to be triggering for you. In 2015, that draft, they had three picks in a row, and they picked Zaboral, DeBrusque, and Sinitian. Three yeah. picks in a row. And who you, went after you know that who again? Came after. I don't. It was Barzal and someone. Barzal, Shabbat, Connor. Oh. Three right after. Could Oof. you imagine if you have any one of those guys? Any, any one of those. It doesn't Not even Anne DeBrusque, just any one of those. Imagine having Shabbat McAvoy in your first pair. Barzal or Bergeron Barzal is your one two punch. In or, that in the Boston development system, too. Absolutely. They, that team would have been un. And they, they were unreal, but that team probably gets another cup. Of the over these past three years, if they if they draft one or two of those guys instead of the the guys that they drafted, that that that's my beef. If you're asking this, if you're if you're saying we need you to be better with our younger players and win a cup at the same time, either you have to give me studs to develop, or you have no grounds to to get mad at me for that. That's my opinion. Maybe there there must have been more, and we'll ask Alex about that. But that idea of friction with the young players being a, a big reason for firing is mind boggling to me. Yeah. I mean, you said it very well. I, mean, I think all that is very true. I think over the last five years, the, the two best coaches in the league have been Mike Sullivan and Bruce Cassidy. And the most yeah. savage thing is that Don Sweeney told Bruce Cassidy that he yeah. had a job yeah. at the end of your meetings. That's I mean, crazy. I think in the interest of time, we'll say this really quickly. Um, but I think Bruce Cassidy gets hired very quickly. I think he goes to Vegas. Bruce <sighs> Cassidy isn't a rebuilding coach. He coaches to win. Vegas is in wid mode. They play very gritty. I like his fit there. I will say... Four or five episodes ago, UFR did call the fact that Uh-oh. Bruce Cassidy had a little bit of friction with Don Sweeney. Do you remember that? We yes, said that at the end. Absolutely. Did not expect him to get fired, but we're going to talk to Alex about this. A lot of this firing talks about now whether Pasta is going to stay or he's going to go. I heard he wasn't happy with how they handled Cassidy, wasn't happy with how they handled Krejci. Do I think that this means he gets traded? No. Do I think he ends up resigning if Sweeney gets fired? Probably because he does not like Don Sweeney. If not, I could see him go to a contender with cap space. I'll say it really quickly. The Kings jump to mind. Yeah. Right? If Cal Peterson takes that next next step, the Kings have a legit shot that next year. They have a lot of cap space. I mean, low-key, I think that's where Austin Matthews goes to if he doesn't resign, but that's that's a story for a different day. Yeah, don't get started with that, please. Um, um, we have two years before we start to panic, but I think, you know, that's that's actually really... That's probably where he's going to go if he doesn't stay here. Um, yeah, I, I do... I, I, I was... When I first read that the uh, pasta rumors, I was like, "Oh my gosh, he's leaving! Like, what the heck's going on?" But over the past couple of days, where it's gotten time to settle, like his agents come out and refuted those as as agents do. I do think that he's gonna stay. Um, I think he's gonna get a huge, huge payday as well as he deserves. But I think if there are any sort of seeds of friction among the players, between the players in the front office, or between you know anybody that's that's not conducive to to success down the road and so i think boston this is maybe like one of those where there's smoke there's fire kind of thing if you know star players like pasta are starting to get upset there's got to be some there's got to be some 
reconciliation here. Something's got to happen because if you have your star players being upset and there's not that cohesiveness that we know Boston to be sort of defined by, they got they got to figure that out. They really do. Um, if he does get traded, though, oh my gosh, LA freaks me out if they're going to be so good. Even the Devils. I think the Devils are so, so um, ready to take a next step. They've been trying for years. It hasn't worked. I think it's going to be a huge trade. And maybe we'll save a little bit of that talk for Alex. And I think this is actually a perfect time to throw it over to Alex. So stay tuned. We're going to have a, a great discussion with Alex Barth. And uh, we'll be back in a little bit. But stay tuned. Alex Barth um, joining us right now. So we're really excited to be joined today by Alex Barth on this episode. Um, as a writer and digital pro- producer at 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston and a host of the Colin It, Colin it podcast, we're eager to hear Alex's perspective on the Bruins who have made a lot of news over this past week or so. So Alex, thanks a lot for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Love it. So let's just start with the big elephant in the room, at least from our perspective, is Bruce Cassidy's firing from the outside looking in. We, we thought this was a huge shock. So what happened here? Yeah, it was a pretty big surprise here too. I, I think that I don't know that everybody was assured he was coming back next year, but I think the idea was that either they were going to run it back or there was going to be a complete overhaul, right? Either Cassidy was going to be back or if he wasn't here, it's because Sweeney wasn't here and potentially Cam Neely wasn't here. And like, they were just doing a whole overhaul, which I, I don't think would have been a bad path. This to me feels like a half measure. This to me feels like it's Don Sweeney trying to buy himself time. Right. And say, well, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't the roster. It was the coach. He wasn't getting everything out of it. I wanted to get out of it. And, you know, I I don't believe that's the right assessment. We'll ultimately find out. Right. We'll see who they bring in to replace him and all that. It doesn't feel like they'll be able to upgrade just based on who's available on the market. But I think it was just kind of the team had, had struggled in the postseason for a number of years. You can some people will characterize it as underperforming. Some people would say that. Well, no, they gave you more or less what the roster was, you know, it's kind of glass half empty, glass half full kind of thing. But um, they were firing the coach to do something right. They needed to do something. They don't want to move on from Patrice Bergeron if he's not ready to retire. Uh, You know, I don't think Cam Neely's ready to move on from Don Sweeney yet, his former teammate, his friend. But I don't think, you know, image wise, they could just go into the next season status quo. Things are as they've been. So, you know, um, uh, uh, Bruce Cassidy becomes sort of just a logical fall guy. He becomes a guy who can put it all on and say, now we'll all fix it. And I mean, I, I know this is a hockey podcast. I don't know how much you guys follow the NBA, but last year the Celtics did something similar. Granted, they also changed their GM, but they were a team that had talent. Maybe didn't have the most talent, but had talent. It felt like should be doing better than they were. They made a coaching change just to kind of get a new voice in the room. And ultimately it worked out, right? They're in the NBA finals and Ime Udoka has been a home run. It almost feels like the Bruins are trying to copy that, but I think the key differences are they're different sports, right? You don't, the the concentration talent is different in hockey than it is in basketball. And I don't think there's an Ime Udoka candidate out there right now in the world of hockey, maybe way under the radar. I'm missing somebody, but somebody would, would his resume with his experience, the people he had worked for the championship pedigree, it, they got him to begin with. The Celtics did. Feels like a you know one in a million shot. And it, are the Bruins going to do the same thing, right? Or are they going to go two one in a million? So I think that's kind of you know the the surface level view of it is they just think a new voice in the room is is going to change things. 
we'll see whether or not that's enough. It doesn't feel like it right now, but I think the idea was that they just, they needed to change something and it was the easiest spot to make a change. Yeah. Those are all really good points. I think um, one area I want to direct my next question to is to what you talked about with Don Sweeney. I mean, let's face it, the Boston Bruins, I think personally were expected to do better this year. I thought they were going to beat Carolina um, in six. That didn't happen. Now there's a little bit of a debacle with Bruce Cassidy getting fired. Pasternak's not happy. A lot of guys are getting hurt. Um, I want to talk about Don Sweeney here. Um, we've seen a lot of backlash directed towards him and also the rest of the front office. Do you think they have some blame to take for how this whole thing has transpired? We we hear a lot about, I mean, any Boston Bruins fan knows that um, Boston hasn't drafted very well recently with that um, those three draft picks, remember, in, in the first right, round. 2015, and, yeah. Right, and, and especially with the people who followed that, they've lost some key free agents like Krug. Is any of this Don Sweeney to blame? Yeah, I mean, when you're the when you're the general manager, roster construction's on you, right? That's basically the job description. So I certainly think there's blame there. And and if firing Cassidy makes things go worse, you know, that's only going to snowball on him. So I think you look at the drafting. I think you look at some of the trades he's made. Uh, you know, giving up a first round pick for Rick Nash on a rental that didn't really net anything. Uh, uh, Kasha, uh, Andre Kasha was that two years ago? I think that was 19 or 20. It was 20 right before the pandemic. That obviously didn't net anything. He had concussion problems, which is unfortunate, but you know, it's, it's one thing if you can't make the picks, we see this across all sports where some teams, they just can't draft and they know it and they get creative and they use those draft picks in other ways. Look at what the, the Los Angeles Rams just did. Right. I, the problem is you have to hit on those trades. And I think, you know, in Boston, we looked at it and said, are you really max? I know you're not making the picks, but are you maximizing those picks? And I even look at the, the Hampus Lindholm trade they made this year. That to me is a great trade. They got a young yeah. player at cost. I know they didn't trade for him on a long-term deal, but ultimately they turned it into a long-term thing, right? A guy they really needed all of that. So did they give up that much more to get Hampus Lindholm than they did for say, you know, Andre Kasha? I know there's a couple other picks involved there, but it felt like, it felt like they could have been swinging for the fences a little bit more. Right. And maybe this is an indication that it's a new Don Sweeney that he made this deal this year and he's kind of learned his mistakes, but it does feel like they've shortchanged themselves a couple times in roster construction. And then also I, I would say the, we'll call it a hesitancy to move on from, from veteran players. And look, it's never easy to move on from cornerstones, but you know, they went through that whole Tuka Rask experiment this year. That didn't work. That turned out to be major distraction. Yeah. Um, even right now, and, and look, I love Patrice Bergeron. Everybody in Boston loves Patrice Bergeron. He absolutely should retire a Boston Bruin. But if you're going to move on from a promising coach and you're going to maybe delay a rebuild for a year where right now you don't have a contending roster anyway, like it, it, it just feels like you're grasping at straws at that point. So I think that's, that's where, you know, when it comes to Sweeney, uh, the blame falls. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've heard so much it's like any Bruins fan that I come across on Twitter that I know have a lot to say about Don Sweeney in the front office rightfully or unfairly or unfairly um but you hinted at Patrice Bergeron that was the next question I had locked and loaded in my mind so that's a perfect segue how do you think all of this impacts his decision well I I think this is we we won't know until we know who the replacement coach is right okay um because I think you know he's not going to come back and play for coach he doesn't want to play for you know if it's a guy like Jay Leach, who's been in the system, and I, I was his teammate at one point. I don't remember if they were ever on the team together in 06. Bergeron might have, was, like, in and out of the minors at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, that, you know, might be more 
amenable to a guy like Barry Trotz. He's a good coach, but, you know, he's never really played for it. He doesn't have a relationship with that just might be weird. So, you know, I, I, I don't think we have all the information left to answer that question, but I, I can't imagine it in the current situation, he's any more encouraged to come back. Right. The direction's yeah. not there right now. And if I'm him, I go to them and say, you tell me why I should come back. Right. You know, they kind of have to sell it to him at this point. He doesn't have anything left to prove. They could use another company really doesn't have anything left to prove. So it, it's a tough sell right now. If you're the Bruins to convince him to come back for another year, because what are you, what are you selling him on? Brad Marchand's out for two months. Uh, you know, you're missing your top defenseman and Charlie McAvoy for, for a while. You don't necessarily have the assets in place to, cushion those losses or even to add on top of that they've got a lot of money tied up they don't have a lot of flexibility to be uh uh flex they don't have a lot of flexibility this offseason especially if then bergeron comes back you had that on top of it so i i i don't i'm not like say, saying this saying he's definitely going to retire right i think that he's a guy who loves competition he loves the game i think they're going to have to drag him off the ice but He's, you know, he dealt with some injuries last year and he's getting up there in age. And does he want to come out and, you know, be on a team that's scraping for the final playoff spot? Is that yeah. how he wants to spend this part of his career? It's a tough sell. Yeah, those are those are all very good points. And I think another tough sell here um, is the David Pasternak situation. I really want to get your perspective on this with Bruce Cassidy getting fired. It came out that, first of all, he wasn't happy with it. It, it also came out that he wasn't happy with how they let Krejci walk pretty easily also not on very good terms with Don Sweeney. Now there's trade talks coming out and his agent started talking about that. That might've been a little bit overhyped. I think my question for you is, um, do you think that um, David Pasternak resigns or does he want to trade? Or what are your thoughts on that? I, I like gut feeling. I think he resigns because he does like living in Boston and he does like being a Bruin aside from some of the stuff going on around the organization right now. I think if Bergeron comes back, you know, he loves playing with Patrice Bergeron. The opportunities, they let him do that, obviously. I, I, The one thing that gives me pause is, I mean, it's been a thing in the NBA for a long time. You're seeing it now in the NFL, uh, even a little bit in baseball, where, where these superstars are kind of realizing their value. And if you're not going to make them happy, if you're not going to give them everything they want, they'll leave, right? And that's not quite in hockey yet. I don't know if there's like a glaring example of that in hockey. Maybe... John Tavares leaving the Islanders kind of fits that bill, but it's not, you know, anyway, it's going to get to hockey. Eventually it's going to get to every sport. Eventually. That's just the reality of it. This kind of set the stage is set for, for Pasternak to make, you know, a Tom Brady type of move or a Bryce Harper type of move or LeBron James type of move or however you want to characterize it. Right. The pieces are all in place. Will he do it? I, he doesn't seem like that guy. I don't know. I, I it's coming. It's coming to the NHL eventually. I don't know if Pasenak's that guy, but if his agent gets in his ear, somebody else gets in his ear, whatever, the the, the pieces are set. Um, and then it comes, I, I don't think the Bruins would let him walk. I think if ultimately he's not going to resign, they would trade him. They can't lose him for nothing. But I, I, I think ultimately they make him happy. I think they might have to make some concessions, but you got rid of your coach. Your captain is, whether or not he comes back this year, your captain is one foot out the door at this point. That's your franchise. David Postnock, that's your franchise. If he want, you know, I would let him have a say in the coaching decision. I would let have him have a say in what line he plays on, right? I think you got to do something to make him happy and bring him back. And I think the Bruins will ultimately do that because I think they would realize just how much trouble they're in if he leaves. Yeah, I think I think our gut feeling as well is that he's going to resign. Um, but it, it is kind of crazy to 
to hear some instability within the Bruins, you know, franchise, because that's not, not, not something we ever expect or kind of come to expect, right? We come to expect them to be super solid. Right. But you, know, you touched on, and this will be our last question in the interest of time. We don't want to take too much of your time. But speaking of basketball, I've heard a few people actually frame this upcoming season for the Bruins as kind of what happened with the Golden State Warriors a few years ago, right? All the guys, they got their surgeries, they retooled, drafted James Wiseman, and now they're fighting for titles again. Do you see the Bruins situation being similar to that? Or is this something you think is going to turn into a full-fledged rebuild? I don't think they'll ever do a full-fledged rebuild, like completely clean house. I think what you just said, I apologize, keep crossing sports on you guys, but that's all um, good. like, like what the Warriors did where everybody's hurt. It's a transitional year. Anyway, what do you want to win 40 games for? What good does that do you right? The the worst place you can be in the NHL is middle of the pack. This is the worst place you can be. So I'd lo- I would love to see that. And from my understanding, and you, I don't know, maybe you guys follow this closer than me. I'm not a huge NHL draft guy, but from my understanding, the 2023 class is stacked. It's loaded. Yeah. It's a good year, right? Yeah. It's a good year. If you're going to pick a year to play for the draft, that's a year you'd want to do it. Yeah. Now that becomes a little tougher to do if Patrice Berger on his back, right? Yeah. How do, how do you sell him? How do you sell the fan base on, I don't want to say wasting the last year of Patrice Bergeron or potentially the last year of Patrice Bergeron, but you're not exactly capitalizing on it either. So it's, it's tough. You know, it's, I, I don't know that there's a the right answer there. I think at a certain point, you kind of have to take the emotion out of it. And you know, what's, what's better for the five-year outlook of the franchise. It's probably what you just described. And Marshawn's not going to be available for a good chunk of the season. McAvoy's not going to be available for a good chunk of the season. Play some of the kids you've drafted. You haven't brought up, see what they can do. Either you get a pleasant surprise out of that, or you get a top 10 draft pick. It's a win-win. And then you, you go for it again, 2023, some money comes off the books. You add in free agency, you add some kids. Um, it's, I, I was, who was I talking to the other day? I think it was the, the, uh, was it the Florida Panthers? One of the teams that's late kind of had a similar, similar process where oh, it was the New York Rangers, sorry, the New York Rangers, yeah, yeah. right. Kind of had a similar process where they got some high draft picks and then they let some money come off the books and, you know, they had to move on from Hendrick Lundquist in all of that, which is not easy that's to right. do. To, to a guy from your franchise like that. And Bergeron is of that standing, if not more so in Boston than mm-hmm. what Hank was in New York. So, um, it, you know, on, you, on paper, if you want to take the cold hearted approach to it, you tell Bergeron, thanks for 20 years. We'll, we'll see when we retire your number, but we're going to go in this direction right now, but it's not as simple as just doing that. Right. So I think that's what it comes down to. It's a tough decision to make. And that, you know, I think that's ultimately right now, Don Sweeney's on the ropes. He's still here, but, it, it it feels like the pressure is building. I think answering that question, that's the, that's the big question right now, which direction do you go? And I think answering that question correctly is decides Don Sweeney's future in Boston. Yeah, absolutely. I think if he can sort of guide this ship and this retool, he definitely will buy himself some time and some credibility. So it'll be interesting to see how these next few months play out. But Alex, you know, again, in the interest of time, we don't want to take too much of your time. So just want to, thank you again i got another like five minutes if you guys got another one you know what one question we want to ask you is regarding brad marchand i mean this is this is something that i have a little bit of stake in the game here because brad marchand is on my fantasy team so this is kind (laughs) of a a one-on-one question i want to ask you you think brad marchand with bilateral hip repairs comes back at 100 percent, or do you think the 100 point brad marchand selkie candidate brad marchand is kind of gone in the past after these injuries so I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going to regurgitate things I've read medical professionals say about this. I I, th- he, I think he he can come back, 
but it, it's it's like a year long thing. So even after you recover from the surgery, there's like a year of feeling out process, like a torn ACL. So I think he can get to that player again. I I, I don't think it's guaranteed he will because you start adding up the years here, the recovery time and that, and suddenly he's in his mid thirties. Yeah. He also, by the time he gets back to full speed, is he playing on the same line as Patrice Bergeron? That certainly helps elevate those numbers. So I, I, I don't think he's cooked by any means. I still think he can be an impactful player. I still think he can be an all-star caliber player, uh, but it's not going to, you know, there's a path to get there. It's not necessarily going to be easy to do. He's not just going to come back from the injury and, and, you know, just do it day one. But I, I do think he can get back there. I mean, I'm excited to see it. I mean, from an objective hockey fan, not a Leafs fan, as a Leafs fan, I don't really want to see Boston do well because you guys have hurt us for so many years. But as an objective hockey well, who fan... Who hasn't, to be fair? Who yeah. hasn't hurt you for so many years? Oh my God, Columbus, Montreal, the list goes on and on Tampa this year. But yeah, um, as an objective hockey fan, when the Bruins do well, the NHL does well. So hopefully they come back strong next year and are able to um, to get back right where they left off this year. Yeah, that, uh, that one-year timeline kind of works out with that little plan that... We had talked about so if it's yeah. all galaxy brain this works out then then don sweeney and cam miller you're gonna look brilliant yeah yeah they will absolutely and, and yeah no it's always good when the original six teams do well that's all I, sure. I, I like i like i like blue bloods right like i like when blue blood teams are in, in all sports like i'm a big fan of that i i have no time for the florida panthers i have no time for the <laughs> yeah. like colorado's cool i'm all in colorado that's a fun team okay like it's seeing edmonton get this far was cool but like Columbus what is it there's no history there right I I, I, I like it I I'll, I'll be I'll favor other blue bloods to, to Toronto certainly okay. but I always yeah. like when the blue bloods do well so that's that's fun I can yeah. admit that can't blame you there and just just before we wrap up quick quick fire 10 seconds who's winning the Stanley yeah. Cup I think Colorado I think that that they got that those team of destiny feels I know Tampa's loaded in their Tampa but to get the, to this stage, this many years, you know, that's got to take some wear and tear. I think Colorado's the next big team. I, I think I'm speaking more with my heart than my head, but I like Colorado. Yeah, I've got Colorado too. Angelo here has Tampa, so we're all kind of split. It'll be interesting to see how it all okay. plays out. Yeah, um, but um, Alex, once again, thanks so much for doing this. Um, before we wrap up, we just want to give our listeners a chance to hear you tell them where they can find your work so they can um, check out your stuff a little bit more. Yep, uh, 985thesportsub.com. Uh, we, we have a ton of stuff. Myself, Matt Dolph, and Ty Anderson, who I work with, who are big-time hockey guys, they have every single angle of the kind of the Bruins situation covered. So if you want more, again, it's super in-depth. Uh, they've got, you know, what went wrong behind the scenes. It, today, Matt did a breakdown on, on where Bruce Cassie is most likely to end up. All of that, 985thesportsub.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at RealAlexBarth. Awesome. Alex, thanks again for, for taking the time out of your day to join us. We, we really appreciate it. Um, and everyone, be sure to check out Alex's work and, and this podcast as well that we've listened to. It's, it's, a, it's a great listen. So check him out. And Alex, thanks so much again. Thanks for having me, guys. We're just going to take a brief intermission to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, King of the Journey. Designed and manufactured locally here in Toronto, King of the Journey has a wide variety of high-fashion streetwear and loungewear made for dreamers and achievers. To check out their everyday fits and all-time apparel, follow them on Instagram at kingofthejourney and visit them online at kingofthejourney.com. Okay, so now we're going to do actually a fun exercise that we've been saving for a couple of weeks. And we're going to go through, obviously, we're going to have the Hart Trophy being given out over the next couple of weeks during the Stanley Cup Finals. But what we wanted to do was give our Hart Trophy winner or MVPs from each division. And 
a reminder, we're doing this in the middle of the playoffs, but this is a regular season award. Um, should I start it off? Do you want to, or you want to start? I think your your pick is pretty in keeping with the with the theme, so start yes. it off. I'll start with start off in the Atlantic. I'm actually going to pick a Boston boy, Charlie McAvoy, and I know the Atlantic is stacked, so I did go a little off the board here, but I do want to bring some, give some credit to Charlie McAvoy. Um, I think this division was the toughest one to pick because it has the most talent, and I think the gap between the good and the bad teams is the biggest in the NHL. So you had to pick from one of these really, really good teams. Um, but Charlie McAvoy was just a huge reason for why the Bruins have maintained their performance from years past. We talked about that. He has anchored what is realistically, I think, has been a subpar decor for the entire season this year. And he was one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason, him and Bergeron, why they had the were the best defensive team this season. They had the best expected goals against all season. He played more than 400 minutes more than the next closest defenseman on that team. We had Jay Fresh on a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to use some of his stats. He's a 99th percentile of war. He's in the 90s in everything offensively and defensively. And I'm not sure how, but I'm, I kind of think he's underrated. When you think of the top five D1 in the league, not McAvoy doesn't always come up, and I think he should start to come up all the time in top five conversations. Oh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think, I think Charlie McAvoy is the most underrated player in the NHL, and I think yeah. the top three defensemen in the NHL are, I think for sure, McCarr, Hedman, um, Fox, and then I think it goes Yossi, and then I think McAvoy slots in at five. He has to be. I think he honestly might slot in before Yossi too. I think I would take him first. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a good pick. I'm gonna go. Surprise, surprise, AM34, Austin Matthews, 60 goals, enough said, mic drop. I mean, first time since <laughs> Stammer in 2011, 2012. Like you said last time, it's the hardest thing to do in this sport is to score goals. His GSVA is the highest on the team, which means he contributes to the most wins on his team by quite a good margin. The only issue that people say is that the Leafs are fantastic when he hasn't played. I mean, to their credit, the Leafs are 7-2-0 and in the nine games he's missed this season, but they only played good teams i think three times they played carolina boston and tampa the rest of the teams they played were really bad they played montreal twice ottawa twice the islanders and the flyers so i mean you could take off our first two lines we still would have been seven two and oh yeah in those games um on a side note that means austin scored 60 while missing nine games against bad teams he could have put six or That's... seven more in could have had a legitimate shot at 65 or 70 this year which is crazy in a full 82 game season but i mean defensively i mean to be that good of a scorer and to get selkie votes especially in an era where Patrice Bergeron is Patrice Bergeron, I think cements him as a top three, maybe top two player in the league and quite possibly the best center in the league. The only other goal, pure goal scores I can think of are like Stamkos, Ovechkin, Goudreau, and none of those guys are hold a candle to Austin defensively. No, It's pretty crazy to think that in goals against per 60, shots against per 60, Corsi against per 60, and expected goals against per 60, Austin Matthews is fourth in the league in all four of those categories. Wow. He's probably the only goal scorer there too. Yeah, the people above him are Bergeron, Sorelli, and you know, we'll give it to Barkov, but Barkov is more of a distributor. But the fact that he got Selkie votes, putting up the best scoring season we've seen in maybe 10 to 15 years, I think cements him as the um, as the MVP in this division. And if you knew, if if you didn't know I was going to pick Austin, would you have picked Austin? Yeah, probably. Yeah, but no, we, we like to add some diversity here, which is, which is good there. The second one is in the Metro division. I'll adhere to you here because we're going to have the same yeah. pick no diversity in this pick None. this is just igor all day we don't really need to say much here last episode we gave a very well you gave a very compelling argument as to why he should probably like realistically be the favorite for the heart for the heart um he made a terribly defensive 
um, a defensively terrible, rather, New York team look like contenders. They were in the Final Four. He is a big reason for that, big reason for why they got home ice advantage because he was a stud in the regular season. We've already talked about it. He led the league in all major goaltending categories, advanced stats, regular stats, like save percentage, goals against. He was right up there in literally all of them. He had a league-best 34 goals saved above expected. So not only is he incredibly good, but that also means he plays on a team that gives up a crap ton of high-quality chances, which we know they do. Um, I think this team would be a, a bubble team at best without him. I think he deserves all the credit. This guy's going to be a stud for so many years. Igor is the MVP of the Metro, hands down. Yeah, let's move on. Go to the Central. I think it's consensus in, in the Metro. Okay, you want us to give us your Central pick? I mean, maybe you give yours first because yours is quite obvious, the only perfect answer. Dollar Bill Kirill. My Damn. guy plays for the Minnesota Wild, who I've had a bit of a um, like a crush on over the this past season. Um, you knew the show. You knew I was going to pick him. But he finished here with 47 goals, 108 points, which is 23 more points than his next closest teammate. He also helped turn guys like Ryan Hartman into a very good player. Prior to playing with Hartman, he was... Um, Carmen had struggled for a long time. He was a former first-round pick, really couldn't find a spot in the league. Was looking like, honestly, he was going to be on his way out, but now he's probably going to be bought himself a few more years of, of, of for sure, NHL contracts. Um, but just even in general, this is not something I don't think you can like, quantify, but before Kaprizov came to the Wild, they were always one of those boring teams, defense first. Could that have been a coach thing? Sure, but it, also because they didn't have a guy this dynamic. He's changed the way that team plays hockey in a matter of two years. And this year, after a slow start, almost put up 50, over 100 points. I can't say enough about how good this, this guy is. And if he was in, if he was in a he gets a lot of praise and a lot of coverage in Minnesota. Could you imagine if he was in one of the true big markets? He'd be widely recognized as one of the best players in the league. Yeah, he didn't score in like the first 10 games or something like that, which Nuts. is pretty crazy. I think that's the consensus. Um, To be honest, when I... I had a little bit of a brain fart. I made you go first because I thought we were going into the Pacific. So I think there is an argument to be made here that Roman Yossi could For also sure. be sure. the MVP of the Central. I legitimately think that Roman Yossi is more important to the Preds than McDavid is to the Oilers. And I know McDavid, is, like they, those aren't in the Central. I think that's a yeah. good comparison. If you take McDavid off the Oilers this year in that garbage division with the depth the Oilers had offensively, and if Mike Smith played the way that he played in April... I think they're a wildcard playoff team. If you take Yossi off the Preds, they're finishing at the bottom of the table. We saw the Nashville Predators play without UC Soros for the last two weeks. They fared pretty well and still held the playoff spot, a wildcard playoff team. If you took Yossi off that team, good luck. They have no power play depth. They have no one to log minutes, no one to score past Duchesne and Forsberg who don't play as many minutes as you would expect. Mm -hmm. Yossi rips like 25 to 30 minutes a night. I mean, this year, the Preds without Yossi, they were winless. But granted, he only missed two games. But one of them, they lost to Columbus. When you look at Roman <laughs> Yossi, pure offensive production. 80 games played, 23 goals, 70, 73 assists, 96 points. That is the most points by a defenseman in one season in the last 20 years. On a side note, this does not mean that he deserves the Norris. Because do you know who the second most points was in one season in the last 20 years for a defenseman? Um, kill kill McCarr this year at 86 and like five less games so that's not the argument that we're making here Roman Yossi instrumental to the to the Nashville Predators and remember yep. for anyone listening MVP doesn't mean the best player in the division it means the most valuable player to their team correct okay now on to our last one I took the I took the easy one here the softball I picked McDavid because I just had a hard time not picking him um, I just couldn't say no to him 
he will forever be the most valuable player I think to any team that he plays on. If you can really you can make a case for that. 123 points in 80 games is hard to fathom. Un- unbelievable. And at first I was like, okay, how do I pick McDavid when he plays on the same team as Leon Draisaitl? Right? And so, well, let's look at this. They played most of the season apart, but I went to look at the impact that McDavid has on Draisaitl when they play together and it's incredible, right? And this is not a shot at Draisaitl. This is He's, he's a very good player, top five in the league, arguably. This is a testament to McDavid. Without McDavid, Drysaddle sees about a 10% drop in his Corsi 4 and his Fenwick 4 percentages and a very small drop in his expected goals 4 percentage, right? These aren't super staggering numbers, but the fact that McDavid can make an already world-class player approximately 10% better on the ice is a testament to how good he is, right? And even when you compare guys like Hyman with McDavid, Hyman with Dreisaitl, anyone that plays with McDavid is considerably better. And so that's why I'm comfortable giving him the MVP, even when he plays with a guy like Dreisaitl, because he makes not only Dreisaitl better, but other guys better than they are when they play with Dreisaitl, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think this was the consensus here, Connor. McDavid is definitely the MVP of the Pacific Division, but for the sake of diversity, I'm going to give a player that I think was honestly just as valuable, maybe a little bit less valuable to their team, but still popped off this year, um, Timu Meyer. Yeah, 77 games played, 35 goals, 41 assists in se- to lead to 76 points. Objectively a premier goal scorer in the league now. Led his team in goals. I think the next best was Hurdle, and then it falls off a cliff. Led the team in power play goals by double compared to the next best player in Hurdle. And remember, once again, this is MVP to their team. And the reason why I say this is because I looked up in the Pacific goal scoring leaders. The only players to score more goals than um, Timu Meyer were Leon Dreitseidel, Connor McDavid, Lindholm, Gaudreau, Kachuk and Troy Terry and what this means is that all the guys in front of them play on very sim on the same teams and so no one of them I think is more valuable to their team because a bunch of guys on that team popped off this year that's a good point but the stats that you just talked about about McDavid probably reduced the credibility to that but Connor McDavid's Connor McDavid there is no other shark in the top 10 of that goal scoring list meaning that Meyer was instrumental to his team's success I think if you take Meyer off the San Jose Sharks, they legitimately might come in last in that division. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's my pick. That's a really good pick. Timo Meyer is another underrated player, and he's uh, he's going to be really good for a long time because he's still really young. Um, I think that kind of brings us to the end. That was a really kind of fun exercise to do that we've been holding off on. There are definitely some more things that we can that we can talk about, but we're going to save that for next week to keep our listeners hooked and keep them coming back. Hopefully, you'll listen next week and talk about things like Debrinke, what the blackhawks are thinking there's some other news that we're definitely going to hit on so stay tuned next week but this will wrap up this episode thanks so much for listening and any last words yeah thanks to alex and also tampa and six. Oh boy see well, you next week we'll dive into the stanley cup finals and some other news see you then yeah we'll see you then thank you for tuning in this has been the upon further review podcast we'll see you all next week